0: Down to business with Bobby Kerr, brought to you by Bank of Ireland on Talk.
1: Now I'm still at Scalex here in Belfast, uh, where 500 and odd people have come to see how to scale their business here today in Belfast. The keynote speaker of the day is Professor Damien Hughes, and he's a world-renowned high-performance expert, and I've just heard him speak um about high performance and about how one gets teams and businesses thinking around high performance and actually delivers high performance and he actually joins me now to talk about high performance damon you're very welcome to the program
0: oh the honor to be on it is mine thank you bobby for asking me
1: now firstly tell me a little bit about yourself uh, we'll come to high performance in a minute because it really is a fascinating subject yeah. but tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this subject
0: well, I grew up in Manchester, Bobby, and um, I grew up in a boxing gym. So my dad, Brian Hughes, was a, was a boxing coach, some renowned in the sport. He trained guys that went on to win Olympic medals and became world champions. And the reason I mention that is there's two things that, uh, in my adult life, we often talk about, we, do, we don't we do do research, we do me-search, where we try and make sense of our origins. And that story about the boxing club define, has defined my life. So... First of all, I was around high performance from as far back as I can remember. I was around guys going off to Olympic games, guys becoming professional champions, guys preparing for world titles. So I, I was around what I call the work in the shadows of high performance, the stuff that precedes it, the hard work, the discipline, the dedication. So I was almost given, if you'll excuse the pun, a ringside seat to high performance and was observing this uh, it, from as far back as I can remember. But the second thing that um, I was exposed to was the power of a culture or a community. And the reason I mention that is the boxing gym where we grew up was based in what's classed as Europe's third poorest district. So as a consequence, you often have high levels of social deprivation, you have um, unemployment, gang culture, all the different kinds of things that bedevil cultures like that. But the boxing gym itself was an oasis within that environment. So people could come in there and just be treated with respect and dignity as long as they came in and showed discipline and, and wanted to do their best. Right. So I was around how powerful a community can really be to shift people's expectations and how they go on to perform. So um, a few years ago, Manchester Council... Chose to name a road in the area after my father in honour to the work they'd done. Oh, nice. And on the day, it was a freezing cold January day when they unveiled it. There must have been about 400 people that attended it, and I was there with my brothers. And we estimated about 80% of the people there that day had never set foot in a boxing ring in their life, despite being members of the boxing club. But what they were there to do was pay homage, if you like, to the lessons they'd learnt within that environment. That have helped them as parents, as partners, and professionals in other aspects of their lives. So, a lot of my life's work subsequently has been about how do I help leaders create high performing cultures of combining both the practical aspects, but also how powerful community can be in sustaining high performance. Okay.
1: Now, you're a very modest man, Damien, because you've worked, uh, you've written eight best selling business books, you've worked. Uh, with national rugby teams. Uh, You've worked with many, many people. You also host a high performance podcast, I know, which uh, you interview people uh, from all sorts of uh, high achieving backgrounds so you're you're downplaying yourself here in terms of your ability so it's my pleasure to actually talk it up for you because uh, you're a man with significant expertise in this area so maybe i could ask you a couple of questions around high performance first of all how do you define it what what is it it's a brilliant question bobby and i think When I first started working
0: on high performance, that's the opening question we ask every guest. We've done over 250 of these interviews now. uh, From people as diverse as Tyson Fury, the heavyweight champion of the world, through to billionaire bosses, through to um, athletes of some renown, we ask the same question. And what's interesting is, nobody ever gives us the same answer. So that's interesting in the regard that high performance is always going to be subjective it's up for you to decide it so So it can mean different things to different people it always will do there's a distinction between high performance and world-class performance world-class is an independent objective set of measures high performance is your own version of it so if I could give you a definition it came from an interview we did with Phil Neville the England former England and Manchester United footballer I was talking to Phil about the hotel that he owns just opposite Manchester United's ground where during the pandemic, he opened it up for free for NHS workers. And I was complimenting him on what he'd done. And he he gave me the best definition of high performance in that. He said, high performance is doing the best you can with what you've got in the moment you're in. Right. And I love that because that because that speaks to the subjective nature Absolutely. of it. The best I can do is different than yours. The moment I'm in is different than you. The resources that we have might be different. So as long as we can answer that I've done the best I can with what <coughs> I've got in the moment I've in, that's high performance.
1: And when it, when 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 you're looking at at high performance, like you're already looking at people in the in the in the arenas in which you work. If it is the national rugby team or the All Blacks or so, already these people are at a level that is higher than most people will ever achieve. Yeah. So your job then is to bring an even higher level of somebody who's already brilliant at what they do.
0: Yeah, so I'll give you a really good example of it. A, um, I, I, I interviewed Dame Kelly Holmes, the, yeah. the double Olympic winning uh, athlete, and I asked her, I said, how much of your success is down to your ability just to run really fast? And how much of it is your ability to run really fast under pressure? Because that's a different skill set. And her answer was 20% was the ability to run fast, 80% of it was being able to sustain that when you're in that final home bend of the Olympic, um, uh, on the Olympic track. So you'll often find that it's in areas like that that when people invest their time in understanding how can I get better, because they understand that, that skills are one part of it but then it might be around cohesion with your teammates. It might be about building trust. It might be about being able to deliver and execute when the pressure's on. These are all different skills and it's about, so a lot of my work is helping coaches and leaders within businesses or teams yeah. to understand what is the difference that really makes
1: the difference. Yeah, and uh, this is maybe too broad a question, but are there are there commonalities that you see with with, with teams that are real winners? And, and conversely, do you see when guys are losing and teams are losing similar things and similar traits in, in play? If I
0: give you one example of a common trait, despite this is in business, sport, the arts, wherever it is, I think a, a common trait of successful, high-performing teams tends to be humility. Yeah. And when I talk about humility, I don't mean telling people you're humble. It's a mindset, and the way I define the mindset is I talk about it in three stages. The first stage is peak idiot stage, where you've got lots of opinions, lots of judgments, and what you find is high farmers get over themselves remarkably quickly. So they get beyond their ego of telling you who they are, what they've got, and what they've done. And then they enter stage two, which is what I call the valley of humility. And that's where they're curious, they're open-minded, they experiment, they try, they fail, they reflect, they try again. So I interviewed um, a guy called Nims Perger. He's a Nepalese soldier that ended up climbing the 14 highest mountain peaks in the world. And he did it in a record time. The 14 highest peaks had been done in six and a half years. This guy does it in six months. And he had this great line, Bobby, that will resonate. He said, your ability to be world class at anything depends on how long you're comfortable being rubbish at it for. Because you've got to make mistakes to learn. You're yeah. not just going to do it. And that's what I call the valley of humility. Yeah,
1: it's great. It's a really good way of, of, of putting it into context.
0: Yeah, and then eventually you get to the third stage, which is where what I call the hill of knowledge. And that's where you can execute what you're good at, but you're never afraid to come and get a bit more information down in the valley. So in high-performing teams and cultures, humility, that valley of humility, being curious to do that, is
1: a consistent trait. And it's so true what you say, that if somebody is telling you they're humble, they're not humble. 100%, yeah. (laughs) I've had this argument. You know when people post on social
0: media, like you see teams that like clean the dressing room and then they post a picture of it on social media to tell you that we've cleaned the dressing room. And I go, you've defeated the purpose of what you did. You did it because it was meant to demonstrate humility. Telling people that you're humble suddenly then makes it... Uh, something other than it is. So humility is
1: definitely a common trait of every high-performing team. And when we go back to look at high performance then, Damien, is it something, like if you find you're good at something, can you ultimately be coached then into being excellent at, at it if you have the right mindset
0: I think so I think it comes back to humility then that I think there's a concept in psychology called the Dunning-Kruger law and it's named after two guys called David Dunning and Justin Kruger and what it says is that if you're good at something you're able to understand why you're good at it but if you flip it on its head if you're bad at something you've got no idea why you're bad at it yeah. so you attribute things to luck you go oh I was just unlucky that day if you're good at something you know why you didn't perform that day, and you go, you know what, my training wasn't good enough in the weeks leading up to it. So I think the Dunning-Kruger law says that when you're working with people that know why they're good at a a good level, they also know where they're not so good and where they can invest some time to improve and get better. So yes, I, I, I certainly think good coaches make a significant difference.
1: Well, look—it's a fascinating subject, and I'm really grateful of you taking the time after a long day to come and talk to me. But uh, you really are a true inspiration, uh, Professor Damien Hughes. As I said, he's a world-renowned high-performance expert, and was an absolute pleasure to talk to you today, Damien. Oh, the privilege has been mine, Bobby. Down to business with Bobby Kerr,
0: brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.